yo, what's good, internet? It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and I am very happy to welcome you to episode number 44 of Life Harvester Radio, the podcast where I talk to my friends about what they were like as kids, how they got into punk, and what they're like now as weird punk grown-ups. And my guest this month, a true weird punk grown-up, my friend Kelly, one of my dearest friends in Pittsburgh and someone who I'm so grateful to be in community with. And I honestly don't know if living here would be as fulfilling as it is if it wasn't for her presence in my life. She's really incredible and um, we talked about a lot of stuff. We, you know, I learned some stuff about her. Um, we talked about her childhood in the Inland Empire in California, finding community and punk and like safety from dysfunction in Long Beach as an adult and then Seattle uh, where I met her 10 years ago. Um, and we talk about the steps that were being taken towards harm reduction in Seattle back then that at the time I had never seen before. Her band, Glue, uh, with an exclamation point, uh, not to be confused with Austin Glue, with no exclamation point, uh, were the first people to ever show me Narcan and teach me how to revive someone that was ODing. And that's a really big deal. And we talked about what that was like, and we talked about um, what it's like now, and we talked about all kinds of other stuff, and I just really, I'm so grateful. I love Kelly. I love the rapport we have. I love laughing together, and I hope you enjoy. So, Kelly, where are you from? <laughs> I'm from the Inland Empire. The Inland Empire. <laughs> Which a lot of people don't know. I think everybody in this region of the, the country referred to anything in Southern California as L.A. Oh, yeah. No, it's different. <laughs> You're from like... Um, like Nazis that look like cholos and the Nazi lowriders, yeah, yeah, that's a and thing. and like a meth country, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like super inland. It's super desert. It's very dusty and brown. Um, so Riverside County. I spent the longest place I ever lived was eleven years. For the first eleven years of my life was in Corona, California. Ooh, <laughs> full circle, huh? And then kind of bounced around like Riverside. And then right before high school, my parents moved me to Norco which um, is the sign says city living in a rural atmosphere. Oh boy. There was no sidewalks, there were horse trails. Oh boy. There were um, not only jocks to deal with, but cowboys. Uh, it was super white, super racist, and often had to take an alternate bus route home because meth labs were burning down. That wow. has happened many times in my life. <laughs> Why did your parents move there? Um, my parents ha had an on and off again relationship for the first 18 years of my life. So there was a lot of breaking up and mom moving us somewhere else and then getting mm -hmm. back together and then moving somewhere else. There was a lot of moving going on. Um, and pretty much like the, st the stable years of like the first 11 years was like right before the recession in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And my dad lost his job and super proud working class family that wouldn't ask for help so we sure. moved around a lot we had friends who owned houses that would rent them to us i don't think my parents paid the rent very much yeah 
Um, and Norco was one of those houses that we could live in. Okay. So that is why we ended up there. And you went to high school in Norco? Norco. Norco High, the Cougars. Norco Cougars. Are you? Do you consider yourself a Norco Cougar nowadays? <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I have to say when Nicholas and I first started dating, a lot of people might have referred to me as a Cougar. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, actually now it went from robbing the cradle to him robbing the grave. <laughs> <laughs> That's what almost 11 years together will we'll totally reverse it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Um, fuck. So what were you like when you were a kid? Like, what were you into? Because you know, um, I know you now. I've known you for, God, like 10 plus years since we first met in Seattle. Right. And I, I always thought of you as like a Northwest person. Because I think just because I met you in Seattle and you seemed so established there. Um, but like, yeah, I guess you seem like someone that's always been punk so effortlessly. Yeah. And uh, you've always been involved in like community care stuff you know like your band that um that you were in when we met which we can we can get to that but glue mm -hmm. uh you guys were the first people to ever tell me about narcan yeah we went on an entire tour of the u.s and brought narcan with us and talked to people about it during the show and yeah. then afterwards had a table set up and training alex turner was a mm -hmm. yeah alex used to send me narcan to my parents house because we couldn't get it in New York for just like people on the street that I would then like bring to squats and mm -hmm. like give out in Tompkins Square Park. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I guess I say that this to say, you seem like someone who's always had like a sort of a very um, holistic involvement in like participation in both the sort of entertainment aspects of punk, but also the like mutual aid, community building, political aspects of punk. And so I wonder where like what, what did it, how, where did you come from? You know, like what were you like when you were young? Um, I've always been the oddball. Mm -hmm. I come from some pretty intense human beings. I don't have a lot of communication with my family. Um, yeah, I was the oddball. The first person I ever called a racist was when I was nine years old and it was my mom. Fuck. Because I had a black boyfriend. I was nine. Right, but yeah. <laughs> and I had a black boyfriend and my mom made, grounded me and made me break up with him. So like I've always, I've always had this like core value system that didn't come from the people that I came from. Right. And I'm not sure it's just there. It's just there. It Even before innate. I had the language for it, before I had the full understanding for it, it it's just always, I've always rebelled against my family. I always felt they were wrong. Yeah. They were. Yeah, they absolutely were. Yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. Um, and I think a lot of the like community care comes from having um, a mentally ill mother who struggles with drugs and alcohol, mm. who is insanely narcissistic. And I was essentially her mom. Sure. Yeah. So I am really, really good at taking care of people. You are. Sometimes to a fault. <laughs> So what did you do? Like when you're, what, what did you and your nine-year-old boyfriend do? Like what were your interests? You know what I mean? Like what were you oh, into? What we, did you like? We like listened to love songs on cassette tapes and... Yeah, what kind of songs? Talked on the phone. Oh, you know, there was like the radio stations where you could call in and do like love connections and like dedicate songs and stuff. Yeah. I mean, probably at that time, I think that was probably around the same time that I, like my first two cassette tapes was um, 
salt and pepper and Lita Ford. Whoa. <laughs> Kiss Me Deadly? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're to a party on Saturday night. And then, you Didn't know, get laid. Got in a party. in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The two, the, the full spectrum of female sexuality. This explains so much about you, by the way. You start at Lita Ford and push it, push it and kiss me deadly, and you end up making earrings that look like vaginas. Yeah. It makes so much sense, Kelly. Wow, I've never had anyone tell me something about their childhood on this podcast that made more sense than that. Fuck. Cool. I, I love it. I love it so much. That makes me happy. Yeah, you, it should. And I, you know, I, I like saved that money for however I, I earned money at nine years old, and those were the two. I went to the music store whatever it was at the time, Sam Goody or Tower or one of those old. Yeah, coconuts. Something, yeah. And I, had those I back then. got those two tapes. Yeah, And Fuck. I I used to um, take a jump rope and like close one end of the jump rope in my closet door uh -huh. and use the other end as a microphone. <gasps> like a, like the cable. Yeah, and I would just like rock out and sing into the microphone. I was just like thought that I was going to be a singer. One of my sisters, I have an older sister. She's three years older than me. She was <laughs> mostly mean to me. Um, but one of her best friends told me that I sounded really good when I sang along to Madonna. Okay. So I had I had like a um, like a virgin on vinyl. Sure. On my play school record player. Yeah. And I would sing that all the time into my jump rope and be like, I'm going to be a singer someday. Singing into a jump rope, like, is so thorough. You know, like most people sing into a comb or whatever, or like something else, <laughs> anything that's like a sort of tubular that's about the size of a microphone. But the, the like eye for detail that you had as a child <laughs> to know that like, oh no, the microphone has to be plugged in for it to work. And so I have to plug my pretend microphone in or else I'm not really singing. It's really, that's a beautiful thing to me. I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. Sure. I was really shy. Um, I really liked to write and draw. Um, I, I, I think you do know that I collect typewriters. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid, do you remember, I can't remember the name of the game, but it was like this plastic game where you would fit all the stars and the triangles and everything in it and it had a ticker and eventually it would pop up and you would like have to fit them all in there. Oh yeah, yeah, I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know either. But when I was a little girl, I would it sounded like a typewriter when I would touch it, so I would like make an office and have a pretend typewriter. Oh, cool. <laughs> there were like a there were like there were a lot of things in my childhood that definitely have never left me. Like yeah. the sound of a typewriter is Yeah, it's so uh, satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you were you did you like watch TV? Were you into like yeah, I watch TV. I mean, I often think that Marge and Homer raised me. Sure. I think a lot okay. of kids my age yeah. <laughs> have that same feeling. I did. I watched TV. I spent a lot of time alone. My mom used to always just be like, she just goes in her room for hours by herself. You know, my Barbies were fucking and like right. I was doing all of the normal kid things by myself that you don't want anyone to see you doing, like singing into a jump rope or yeah. having lesbian Barbie dolls. Totally. <laughs> Getting it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't surprise me one bit. And so what is your, um, what is your introduction to subculture? Um, I mean, I guess it's going to be a mixtape. I had, 
my like first high school boyfriend who I'm still friends with uh, made me a mixtape and it had he had a cool older brother okay. who was in a band um, and he made me a mixtape and it had Bikini Kill and Spitboy on it. And, oh, well, okay. And yeah. What was the older brother's band called? Do you remember? Honeywell. Honeywell. Um, they were called Honeywell. I I think at that were time... Were they an emo band? Just based on I, the name. Yeah, I mean, it was like... <sighs> like that crudos kind of Palatka, like abrasive emo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what like what us older folks would refer to as emo. Like the aggressive, not the... The yeah. sad feeling. Post Rites of Spring, but pre. Uh, like maybe in the vein the of like, yeah, whatever. still life kind of yeah. a little more like singing about feelings angrily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah, that kind of blew my brain open. Yeah. Wow. Because and so before high school, you hadn't heard of, you didn't have like a, like a, like a Green Day Dookie moment or anything or like a. When uh, Rancid, yeah, Let's I, Go blew up or anything? I, like, I did have I did have all of those moments where, like, Green Day, I mean, especially being from California, yeah. Green Day was very, very big. Um, and Rancid and Operation Ivy. And all of those things were, like, there. But I they didn't speak to me that the way when I heard uh, Bikini Kill. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or, you know, Adrian from Spitboys also amazing and that was like blew my brain open i mean for a really long time i wouldn't listen to anything that didn't have a woman in it like i just went in that direction hard yeah good yeah um so what were you into can you kill spit boy yeah um anti-product i'm trying to think of bands from back then no i i was really into like cuddlecore okay which i think people call it something different but yeah, like Cub oh, and like sure, Tiger sure. Trap. I was into a lot of that. I was definitely into like L7 and Babes in Toyland. So yeah, it was definitely just angry women. Yeah. Definitely. But also it sounds like it's not it's not always like strident angry women, right? Because like Mm-mm. Tiger Trap, they're mad mm-hmm. about boys for sure. Or and they're mad about other girls. Too, but yeah. they, it sounds, it's like... Um, it sounds sort of sweet, you know? Bratmobile fucking changed my life. The Butchies, there's so many. I could oh, go yeah. on and on, yeah. And like, you know, so this is what, the early 90s. Yeah, okay. Um, what, when I, I, in 93, I was 14. And this is when you hear Bikini Kill? Yeah. Um, did you ever get to see like the Frumpies or anything? No, I have to say that I lived in Norco, California. Right. I was so far removed. I was poor. I didn't have a car. I wasn't like, there's the Showcase Theater in Corona that is a pretty popular place for Southern California for bands to play. And I would go there and see all kinds of bands. <laughs> Fucking ska was really bad at that time. Yeah, yeah. And my best friend at the time was really into ska. So I would go to these like horrendous ska shows just to be at a show. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I didn't have, oh, one of the best shows that I've e- I ever went to as a kid because I didn't get to see Bikini Kill or, you know, and I didn't get to see Sleater Kinney until I was older and I right. could leave where I was living. But um, I was able to see Tattletale. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like 15 years old. I saw them in Pomona at a place called Cup of J. 
like a coffee shop. Yeah, it was a coffee shop. Nineties <laughs> oh. coffee shop, Pomona, California, Tattletale. Jesus. And, and I was just like, who are these two ladies? They're yeah. so cool. Fuck, that's so cool. Yeah. So what are you mostly hearing about music from like people that you know? Like, how did you meet that boyfriend, for instance? Because all I know about you right now is that you were shy and you played by yourself. Yeah, I was shy and I played by myself, but I'm also... I don't think of you as shy. See, that's what I was going to say. So, so I'm an undercover shy guy. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm very social. I always have a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of social circles. And I've been that way my whole entire life. Yeah. Throughout school, I always kind of like traveled from like group to group. I didn't really have like a... Sp- I mean, there wasn't fucking punks in my high school. Like there was like a okay. couple of us, you know. Yeah. Um, they called us what? snake biters. The punks? Yeah. What, how big was your high school? Would you say, like, how many people were in your graduating class? Maybe, like, 400. Okay, I'm always curious about that. And how many punks do you think were in the high school? There weren't a lot of punks until I was a senior, and then there was all these, like, freshman baby punks. That were copying you and your friends? No, they were were their own punks that just appeared. Oh, that's beautiful. And so I was like fuck all y'all I'm hanging out with these kids they're yeah. so cool you know and like all the jocks and cowboys would call us snake biters yeah I wonder what that means I don't know what it means and I wish that it sounds cool like, it does sound so cool but I like worry that it is like something so not cool like it's homophobic or something or something yeah yeah definitely. or racist I want to bring it back yeah but we should find out where it comes from yeah for sure because I like that yeah it I mean the terminology back then also was really cool because we didn't there was like it was before there was a hipster there was a scenester but before a mm-hmm. scenester we called them white belts yeah 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 of course <laughs> yeah so it's like or san diego we would like i mean call- that comes from that whole aesthetic comes from right around a lot closer where you're from than me yeah i don't know about your conception but my conception was they were like my enemy they were like the bad version yeah. of punk yeah yeah they were the like the, the fashion posers right <laughs> but different from fashion punks which right. were like Perfect mohawk, perfect leather jacket, but like the smell good punks. Yeah, doesn't go, to, doesn't dance at the show. Like, if, like we would always joke about people whose mohawk was still standing after the right. show. Yeah, that like they were a poser because they weren't dancing hard enough. Oh, I used to judge people who I like, could like smell the shampoo in their hair. I'd be like, ah, <laughs> you washed your hair. <laughs> God, the fucking <laughs> so silly. <laughs> the things that we thought were important. I know. As teenagers, are so fucked. Absolutely. Yeah. So because I moved around a lot, um, my sister, who was three years older than me, stayed at the high school in Corona that she had been going to. And then I started at this new one. So we had a lot of connections still to to that old neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And um, before we right before we moved to Norco, um, my very best friend lived next door to me. And for, we were very poor at that time. And her family essentially like raised me for like sev- like four or five years. They fed me, bought me clothes, took me to the doctors, like actually were my parents, my sure. family. So I stayed in very close contact with them. And she went to high school where my f- sister, where my sister was. And then also the boyfriend that I ended up having. Ah, okay. So there was like this other world. Sure. That I was still connected to. So, yeah. I feel like that's common with people that get into punk is that like whatever for whatever reason the world of their own sort of tiny high school social circle is constraining and so there's like there's more there's reaching out yeah definitely always. yeah um 
So when do you start playing in bands? Um, after I turned 18, eventually I moved to Long Beach. As by yourself? Yes. Okay. With like a friends, with a boyfriend, with... I actually, I actually moved with one of my friends from high school. Okay. We moved to Long Beach by way of like Costa Mesa. I've moved around a lot. Oh, this brings up a, a, a potentially interesting aside. Yes. Were you present for like, I, Mikey Stoltz texted me a picture of a, um, a flyer for a, a show, for instance, that was um, Spitboy playing with Sublime. Um, <laughs> Sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I mean, I love Spitboy. <laughs> right. Were you were you around that part of California for the time when like Sublime was a DIY punk band? I fucking hate Sublime. Yeah, they're I awful. Have, I have a really good story about Sublime, a personal story about Please. Sublime. <laughs> Please. Fast forward. Yeah. I'm in a band called The Vaginals. Okay. I live in Long Beach. It's my very first band. What year are you in The Vaginals? <sighs> I'm like... 21. Okay. So um, I turned 21 in the year 2000. Great. Okay. Um, and we are, it's so, it's like a group of best, one of our best friends committed suicide. And then it brought this like all of her best friends together and we all became best friends afterwards. Right. And we started a band. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's, but also that's beautiful. It's it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, she was a super controlling friend. She would have never let us all hung at, hang out together, which is also kind of wild. It's <laughs> really funny. Yeah. Like part of us was like, if 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 there was an afterlife and she could look down, she's fucking pissed. Wow. <laughs> down or up or wherever whatever yeah. direction you'd have to look to see us. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So um my friend Cecily, who is one of my oldest friends. Um, played bass in the band and she is about nine years older than me and she has been sober for since she was like 20 years old okay um and she's really active in AA and NA in the like Long Beach LA area so she knows a lot of rock stars sure of course <laughs> that makes sense like for instance the drummer from Sublime okay who really 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 wanted to play in our band when we were starting the vaginals okay why he just was he just like him and cecily had this great relationship and friendship he wanted a new music project he liked that it was going to be this like crass records riot girl kind of crusty punk thing yeah and really wanted to be in it and cecily was like absolutely not kelly will never let that happen and he was like but i got this like recording studio in my house i got this like uh, all this equipment nobody has to know who i am and she was like kelly will always know (laughs) 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 so no (laughs) just no sure we, we, we turned him down. But also on that, we, also on that same record, we have a 7-inch. Yeah, what's We've, it called? Um, it's a split 7-inch with another band called Cyril from Long Beach, who is a really cool band. So it doesn't... It wasn't, no name, yeah. No name, yeah. Um, but we thanked 
Mike McCready in the liner notes, which is one of the dudes from Pearl Jam. Yeah. Because he helped write a bass riff one time with Cecily after a meeting. Whoa. Cool. <laughs> yeah, sobriety is crazy. Isn't it? LA sobriety too. With like big all city these, sobriety like, yeah, is nuts. exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. It's big city. And yeah, I remember one time, the first time I ever went to Seattle, I drove up from Long Beach. And Cecily was like, you have to go to Mike's house and give him a seven inch. And I'm like, so punk. I'm like, I am not fucking going to the guy from Pearl Jam's house to give him a fucking record. He doesn't even know who I am. This is terrible. I'm not doing it. Did you, you didn't no, do it? No, I didn't do it. Which I wish I would have. What a like yeah, I mean, pigeonhole back, little brat I was. Yeah, but I'm sure he was really nice, you know? Totally. If like he's good friends with my best friend, how could he not be nice? But I right. was like just too punk. Yeah, no, I get that. Being like a pigeonhole brat essentially yeah no i yeah my friend and i pushed over jesse camp on the street when i was 15 because we were like get, stay and said stay off of st mark's place poser <laughs> um and then like ran away yeah obviously. right and he fell so far he's really tall um and it just obviously that's much worse than um not going to a man's house yeah. uh because he's in pearl gym but I get it, yeah. you know, the desire to like um, keep, keep maintain the purity of punk or whatever from like whatever interlopers, big business. Um, wow. So the vaginals form. This is I think this is also something that it feels like if we're going to pull themes out of this, you know what I mean? It's like the sort of um, building community and creating like instances of care but also like uh time time to have a lot of fun yeah out of shared grief and sadness right. seems like something that maybe has been going on in your life for a long time yeah absolutely yeah my childhood was not easy right um and i think like I, I, I said earlier, like before I had like a language or an understanding for a lot of these like really visceral feelings that I had, I was always moving myself farther away from the people that I couldn't fit in with, which was my family. Right. And like, cre like without realizing it, creating this like safe space and boundary for myself to actually discover what real love and relationship and caring is and yeah. what it looks like. And it was how it, like Long Beach was like the first step and then eventually Seattle was like the first place I ever understood healthy relationships and family. Yeah. Which is probably why I seemed so Northwest to you. Yeah, Because that's, that was the first place I ever felt home. Yeah, it seemed like you were at home there in a really yeah. big way. So, um, so what's the, what goes on with the vaginal? You record a seven inch, do you have, do you on tour or anything? Um, we never really toured. Um, no, we actually never toured. We would like play a fest or something here or there. So then um, I was part of the Long Beach Warehouse that was a pretty amazing venue where a lot of shows happened. And I, I was definitely in the shadow of my partner at the time who got who was like the guy sure. who like set up all the shows. And then I was just, you know, the guy's girlfriend. But I did a lot of work and a lot of, you know, yeah, I was just like, we're not having all dudes playing every single fucking show. Like, it is my job to find somebody cool to play with all these dudes. <laughs> um, so we played a lot of shows there, which meant like, I mean, I will give you a seven inch, but I want you to know that 
that the shy guy in me is already cringing. Like it is so, I have a hard time listening to it. Oh, I'll take it from you. Can I also tell you that I read the gender subversion crime think poster in the beginning of one of our songs? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kelly, thank you. That's delightful. Oh, wow. For every girl who wants to throw out her Easy Bake Oven. Yeah. <laughs> there's a boy trying to find one or something like that. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I am delighted. Oh, wow. I love it so much. I'm glad that you get pleasure out of that thing that's so embarrassing to me now. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like, the things that are embarrassing to us are delightful to our friends it's in, true. like, a not pejorative way. Like, right, right, right. I don't like that because it's shameful. I like that because it's so cute. It and, is like, really cute. So perfect. <laughs> um, wow, that's wonderful. Um, so you guys are playing at this warehouse. You're doing all this work to make this man look more better than he is. Mm-hmm. Um you seem not resentful about that at all. No, I mean, we um, we still have a... He's my kitty daddy. I don't know if you... With, with <laughs> my cat Blinko that I had for 16 years. Yeah. Um, when I would go travel, he would fly to Pittsburgh. No fucking way. To stay way. with the cat. Wow. Okay, so he's Blink- putting in he's put in the work since yes. then. Yes, he is a good kitty daddy. Like, he helped pay for bills. He, like, medical bills. Like, he was like... Yeah. Alan is a very good person. Okay. I take back the like slightly catty tone in my voice. I mean, but it's fair by maybe some of his own fault and most of our own fault of that way that we just give men more credit than women. Yeah. Especially in a relationship. It's just like somebody's other. Um, yeah, so that that was a really cool, fun thing, being a part of that. I mean What kind of bands were playing there? I mean, we had a limp rest show there that we had to turn people away because it was like tits to dicks i'll just say like it was just like there was no breathing room like it yeah. was just like completely jam-packed um oh yeah. that rules so it was like anything from like subhumans to limprist to tragedy to all of the crust bands mm-hmm. yeah yeah witch hunt who who i met every band i've ever been with has played with witch hunt which is like this really special thing. I don't know if you you know them very yeah, well, yeah, yeah. or but they would the, play no Rio sometimes. Yeah, those two two ladies are really special to me. And every like we met when like I was in the Vaginals, and our bands played together. And I remember, gosh, this is like seems so crazy to think about this now, but I remember being like in the Vaginals. I'm twenty ish, twenty two, twenty three, at this point, and like witch hunts there and i'm like you guys i like i need i need you to like kind of boost me up right now because i'm really sick of hearing people refer to things as gay and i want to talk about it but i don't want to be too <laughs> preachy you know so yeah so i'm just like and they were like oh fuck that say it like things yeah. are stop being fucking homophobic you guys calling things gay is fucked up yeah like, don't do it fuck um yeah and i remember i did it and I was just like really nervous about it, but I did it. And then afterwards, just this like sweet, precious gay boy came up to me and was like, thank you so much. I was like, that's all I needed. Now I'm going to run my mouth all the time about what everybody's doing. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> Stop being so fucked up. Also, it's just so cr- like, I think like, you know, I have friends that are like 23 or 24 and I think 
maybe they know this just from being like nerds about history history of punk and hardcore but like i think imagining the reality of having to tell your friends to not say the word gay as a 20 year old like when we were their age that that was a thing that was still going on mm -hmm. is even to me now thinking about it it's fucking shocking mm -hmm. that like the just this cultural shift that has happened in yeah the absolutely past 17 18 years yeah just like a just the way language has become so important where before you know the first time i ever realized that calling something gay was stupid and inappropriate was saying it in front of my gay aunt and oh, being whoa. like, oh, I shouldn't do that. And then and yeah. then I noticed it every time it happened with right. other people and I became hyper aware of it and was like, this is fucked oh. up. We have to stop speaking this way. Yeah. Our words carry weight. Like, wow. And, you know, in all that time, too, being a queer person who never really talked about being a queer person uh -huh. because I also didn't have the language for it then. Like, you know, I'm in a I'm in a relationship with a man. Right. What do you couldn't possibly be queer, right? Like it's yeah. you know, then it just didn't seem like there was a space for that understanding of like the complexities of yeah. sexuality. <laughs> Fuck. That's so wild. Um, so how long did you live in Long Beach? I lived in Long Beach for probably about five or six years. Uh huh. And then I moved to Seattle. And then you go to Seattle. Mm -hmm. What brought you to Seattle? I always wanted, I mean, being born and raised in Southern California where it's just like sunny and no rain and brown and like, I was like, send me to the mountains and the trees and the green and I just want to like walk in the rain. Yeah. Whoa. And yeah, and people are just like, whoa, it's like really depressing here. And I was like, no fucking way. I'm going to soak it all the fuck up. I'm a thirsty girl. Like, give me yeah. that rain. <laughs> Little desert flower like give me some water yeah absolutely and so yeah i moved there and it was home yeah but between that i was in another band called deadlock which was a super db crust band okay which has a cute story too because my neighbors in long beach were the harps and jeff harp is in final conflict mm -hmm. and his son was the drummer in our band and he was 16 years old so when we went on tour, his mom gave me all his medical papers and like signed me over as his guardian. Whoa. Yeah, for tour. Like gave me his insurance information. Yeah, just and in all, case. You know, like, all that's... of the stuff. And I remember him just being like, oh God. And I'm like, oh, two punk rock moms, you poor dear. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna this be is, difficult for you. <laughs> this is very cool. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was an interesting band. One of the bandmates was just like, I don't want this to be a feminist band. It was so it was all men and me. Ooh. And he was like, I don't really want this to be like a feminist band, like Witch Hunt. And I was just like, I'm in the band and I'm feminist. Like, what are you going to do? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> he eventually got replaced. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> um, yeah. So then... So you tour with Deadlock. Yeah, yeah. Um, just mostly like... Bay Area and a little bit further, like not not too far out. We weren't a band for so long because I wanted to move for a really long time. And I always said that the only reason I was staying in Long Beach was because of my partner and my band. And then when my partner and I broke up, one of my bandmates was just like, there's only two things keeping you here and you want to move, but we're still a band. And he was like, I'll move too. Whoa. Yeah. He was like, I write all the music. 
the band is nothing without you or me. So let's move and try to start the band in Seattle. Whoa, cool. Yeah, it was what a, a good friend. It was a really supportive, like, oh awesome my God, that's, thing. That's beautiful. It was really, really fucking sweet. And then the band didn't work out. It didn't last very long in sure. Seattle. We fucking tried. It fizzled out. What it had was gone. But what was Seattle like when you moved there? <laughs> Drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Seattle was like, it, I mean, it was worlds apart from living in L.A. Yeah. I mean, punk houses everywhere, mm-hmm. communal living, so much community, so much music. Yeah. Basements. There's no basements in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> Basement shows? That's so. I fucking read about that shit in zines, you know? That was right. like some romantic-ass shit to me. Um, yeah. It was, it was fucking great. That Seattle was the first place that I ever saw Sharps containers in, like out in punks house bathrooms. Yeah. And then, and also like you guys were giving out Narcan, and it's not like there wasn't drugs in New York, but um, it, there was not the same sort of like, I think like more contemporary harm reduction. Like, let's let's not make this shameful. Let's if people are going to do drugs and let's not let them be embarrassed about it. Let's do it in a way that's safe. Um, kind of attitude that I saw there that was really inspirational like that trip and being in Seattle specifically and less so but a little bit in Olympia afterwards really changed a lot of how I saw things and it was like hanging out with you and your friends there that really helped me see sort of the potential for um, ways people could take care of each other that just hadn't right. occurred to me it was it was a lot of work to get those sharps containers in punk houses there was a lot of reluctance. There was a lot of people, you know, with that mindset of if it's here, it becomes a shooting range. Yeah. You know, it's like it's happening, you guys. It's happening whether it's here or not. It's happening. Right. And there was um, there was a, my, one of my boyfriend at, at, at the time overdosed at a party. Um, and I thought he was dead. And. I remember holding my phone and looking at my friend and being like, I have to call 911. But having that that feeling of being like, I'm doing something wrong if the cops yeah. come, you know, like just feeling so conflicted. And I'll, I'll forever thank my friend for being like, yes, you do. Yeah. And I just called. And, you know, there are people who were fucking mad at me and I didn't fucking care. But Narcan came. My friend is alive today. And that like really got the ball rolling with being like, come on, y'all, we got to fucking acknowledge this. Like, yeah, this we, is happening. We have to take care of people. And it was hard. And we were like, you know, Alex Turner would facilitate some like Narcan training courses at my house. And we, yeah, he had some like, ah, I think at the time it was like an illegal. Yes, Narcan it was support. very illegal. We got searched on that glue tour and we had boxes of it. And we were like, Good thing those drug dogs can't sniff that. Like, yeah. woof. <laughs> no, like I remember getting it mailed to my mom's house and just being like, this is like, we could get in trouble for this. Like I'm doing this thing to s- try to save people's lives that is against the law. Absolutely, yeah. Um, which is so fucking crazy to think mm-hmm. about. Um, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, so that... I'm glad that you were there at a time where it was like people were way more receptive and it, it was there. It was obvious that like, you know, 
there were there was a problem going on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, when does Blue start? Hmm. Glue starts with the beautiful love of me and Aaron Johnson. Kind of, our beautiful love was more like commiseration. <laughs> we were just like a couple of fucking grumps. They were just. Two hotties for the ages, though. Like, <laughs> truly. Oh. That, that's one thing that struck me when I saw Glue. I was like, these people are fucking hot. People used to say that a lot. It's, and I remember, like, I guess I still have the same reaction where I'm like, huh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> My friends are really good looking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so Aaron and I were just like, let's be in a band together. And then we did that thing where we're like, okay, who else? And then I didn't really know Erica Freeze very well at the time. And Erin was like, and she was living in Seattle at the Isle of Mischief. And there's an elf walking down the street. Oh, I saw it. Okay. <laughs> so fucking strange. <laughs> I love a LARPer. <laughs> Not me. I hate nerds. <laughs> Colin, you're a nerd. Fuck. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, he was like, Erica Freeze, she's so cool. She plays guitar. Yeah. I don't think she's in any bands right now. Like, let's do this. And then so we talked and we hung out and we were like, yeah, this is going to be cool. And then Erica was like, I know this guy who just learned how to play drums. And it was Ben Trogdon. Yeah. And he fucking lied. He had no idea how to play drums. He fucking <laughs> lied in the interview. He lied on the application. His resume was bunk. <laughs> had he just moved out there? Because he was from, he's from D.C., right? Ah, I think his folks live in New York. You're, no, D.C. Oh, I know he grew failing. up in D.C. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right on that one. But. But he was living in Olympia. Yeah. Okay. Which is why a lot of people would be like, glue from Olympia, glue from Seattle. Like, where is glue from? The uh, you Pacific know, Northwest. You know what's <laughs> funny? I, I forgot that Erica was in that band. Yeah. Whoa. There was a, <laughs> there was a really cool, um, description under a glue seven inch in like a catalog somewhere online that was like glue erica from reviver's other band Fuck that. <laughs> i was like we were a band first <laughs> yeah wow uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so we just kind of made it happen ben didn't really know what he was doing but we were all just having a good time yeah it sounded great and you know it's we just kind of had this special little sound that I, I would call squawk and roll. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really great. We went on a lot of tours. We did a lot of really cool shit. We talked about a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I feel like we were like a good, I mean, we were the band that was like, hey, we're here. Let's talk about Narcan. Let's show you how to use it. Mm -hmm. Take it if you need it. Give it to somebody. Also, we brought a beer bong. Do you want a party? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, you don't have any money for merch? What kind of pills do you have in your pocket? Yeah. <laughs> Give me a couple Ativans. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're this good. This is fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I and, love it. And Glue was such a wild mixture of human beings, too. I was like the crust lord, you know, and Aaron, Aaron Oogelbus and Erica Freeze, you know, there was like the Olympia side. There was like the colorful crusty kids. And then there was like mm -hmm. 
dark me the darkness you know <laughs> yeah oh wow what a combo it was a really wild fun yeah, combo such a good and seeing you guys i saw you in seattle and then i saw you again kansas in kansas city, city yeah for at chris kellogg's it wasn't his yes. birthday party i don't think at show inadvertently maybe. who knows yeah but i had gone to kansas city for chris kellogg's 30th birthday cool and you and we were all hanging out at that truce house and you guys mm -hmm. played um, that was a really fun show. It was so fun. That was a really fun show. Oh my god! And you guys were just so good. You guys were such a good wow. band. Thank you. Yeah. I wish we never broke up, but we had to. <laughs> yeah. What happened? I don't know. It's hard. To we, yeah, we broke up kind of suddenly. Like, Aaron and I were upset about some things that had happened, and we talked about it. And I, and he was like, I think I need to talk to you know. We should have a. We should get together and I'll talk. And I was like, I don't want to talk. I'm done. I'll call Ben. You call Erica. And it was just like that. Done. Yeah. Huh. And it was sad. Yeah. Because we were like, I think it's like, it's the best band I've ever been in. And like, we were like getting really good. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a magic between. Yeah, all there was of a magic. Us. I mean, seeing you guys was a wonderful experience. Oh, thanks. It's like you know, you know, like we're old. We've been to a lot of shows all over the country. There's not, and I, you know, was wasted for a long time. Mm. There's not a ton of shows that I remember being in very vividly um, in terms of just being like, I'm in the right place, like with the right people. This is this is where I'm supposed to be right now in the way that I feel about being at that glue show in Kansas City. Like it just felt like everything was lined up, you know? Yeah. It's, there was this, there's this funny thing that Aaron told me one time that some like you know people would always just be like oh my god you smile the whole time and I'm like yeah I'm like I'm do like I feel so good when I'm doing that like mm -hmm. and I'm shy but like so I'm just like constantly smiling and Aaron told me one time somebody was just like Kelly is so happy and smiling and then he'd be like oh she's one of the saddest people I know I'm like, <laughs> why are you telling people that keep it between us I got some fucking images to keep up here yeah oh god <laughs> wow yeah I mean but you read the lyrics and like you know I was writing a lot about like communities falling apart and alcoholism and escapism and letting your friends down because you can't get your shit together and yeah. you know it, it wasn't happy content <laughs> right but it was hopeful i believe like i feel like i've always like it and even my darkest writings there's always like hope is the well i mean you're training people how to do narcan on tour like that's there's an inherent hope in that, right? Right, like, of course, yeah. There's an inherent Definitely. sense that this we can confront the things that are killing us, like yeah. literally killing us. Yeah. And we can we can take that power into our own hands and we don't have to rely on blah 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 blah. Exactly. And like that's so beautiful. How do you feel watching like with the prevalence of Narcan now, like how it's everywhere and you can get Narcan training anywhere you want. Does it make you so happy? It makes me so happy. It makes me so happy because I didn't even realize until living in Seattle that, I mean, it just, the distribution and training on Narcan came into my life and it never left. Right. And, you know, just, oh, there's like these, I just got a package from um, Prevention Point. I don't know if you've seen that they have like all these, these like really cute little postcards they've made that you can like mail in and 
talk about how important it is to have like more legal needle exchanges and all of these things and yeah anyways um i, I think it's fucking awesome yeah the inhaler beautiful. is fucking awesome dude i was just gonna say a fucking syringe is scary the first time you used <laughs> i haven't used the inhaler but the first time i saw the inhaler the, i've only i've only done narcan on another person one time it was on a stranger um and it was like a totally fucking weird situation and i literally ran away as soon as the person was revived because he got really mad yeah um, that'll happen yeah 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 and his friends were like holding him. It was in Tompkins Square Park. And um, I, um, you know, I'd like shoot a needle in his ass. I had to shoot a needle in this stranger's ass. Yeah. You know, and it was just like, I was like bringing Narcan to someone that I knew in the Lower East Side. At, like one of the kits that I got from Alex. And it, um, there was just like a guy ODing in what the park. What a fucking beautiful thing that you fucking had it. You know, yeah, moment. no, of course. Yeah. And like, oh, so, but then you had to stick a needle but in then like, bum. I had to get his friends to pull his pants down and like I had to shove a needle in his ass. And I was just like, I've never done IV drugs. Like I had never put a needle in anyone before. Mm-hmm. You know, I had read the little sheet. Alex had showed me like you pinch the skin, you just kind of push it mm-hmm. in. It's fine. Um, but I was fucking terrified. Yeah. You know, and when I came, I think it was when I came here because in, Austin, we didn't really worry about that. And towards the end of being in New York, I was sober and like not really hanging around people that were partying, so I never had to deal with it. But here, there's so many bands that stay at our house that I went right away to the prevention point to be like, hey, give me some Narcan kits just to have around. Yeah. And Rotten Ron gave me the fucking uh, (laughs) squeezer, the little nose guy. And I was, I I, like could not contain my fucking glee, Kelly. It's so cool. The, like, it's like, you don't want anyone to feel intimidated in that moment. No. And a syringe, for better or worse, is intimidating. It's scary. Yeah. And, and just being able to, like, shove a, a fucking inhaler in somebody's nostril. Yeah. <sighs> Press a little button. Yeah. Easy peasy. Mm. God. Um, so what, what uh, sort of heralds the end of your time in Seattle? Um, let's see. I feel like it's kind of interesting because it, 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 it Nicholas wanted to move to Pittsburgh. Okay. So you've, you've already started dating Nicholas at this point. Is he living yes. in Seattle? Um, let's talk about Nicholas for a minute because this is kind of yeah. cute. Okay. <laughs> uh, we met on that same glue tour. He was in Crackbox, Crackbox. on tour, right? So... Our tours kept colliding, and we played a lot of shows together. Did they play that Kansas City show? I feel like I saw them on that, like, Oogland trip that I took, too, but it might not have been KC. Mm -mm. I'll tell you what, I have a flyer from that show somewhere. I have flyers from every show from that tour. that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. So I could tell you who played. (laughs) But, um, yeah, we were playing in Madison, Wisconsin with Crackbox. And anyone who's seen Crackbox, like, I love Crackbox. Nine times out of ten, they're wasted and wild playing oh, yeah. a show. You know, recorded, I think they're great. Live, when they hit it, they fucking hit it. But there's there's such a funny group of human beings. Mm-hmm. And they were, this, this show was at a bar. So by the time they played, I think they played last, like everyone was tanked. I think Nick was really irritated with everybody in the band. So I remember, like, after they were done playing, it was just him and I in this back porch outside of the bar smoking cigarettes. And he didn't even look at me. He just like sat down real grumpy and was smoking a cigarette. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's so grumpy and his shoes are so ugly. (laughs) What was he wearing? 
I actually recently found a picture of them. It was like, look, I found a picture of the ugliest shoes. They were just like blue and yellow and white Nikes, high tops. Oh. He was lived in New Orleans. They have different fashion down there. Yeah, no, it's a different style down <laughs> yeah. there. But that's, no, Those, thank you. I, blue and yellow? No. <laughs> um, I mean, and here I am wearing like, engineer boots that I've been wearing for 20 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> been, like, who am I to talk about fashion? But yeah, we met on that tour and I thought he was grumpy, but then we found out that we shared best friends and then uh, we were like, oh, we're friends. And we hung out as friends for quite some time. Mm -hmm. and, then, and, then, and then a bottle of Old Crow later, yeah, we own a house together in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's the... Um that's like the uh, like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Like um, you open the right bottle of Old Crow. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yep. then you guys own a house in Pittsburgh. Yep. Yeah, and it, I mean it was kind of cute because I was. We didn't take each other very seriously. Yeah. Of course, at that point in my life, like I definitely drank a lot and and slept with a lot of people. Um. Without putting much thought into it, unfortunately. But, you know, he was 22 and I was 30. Yeah. And so we were just like, whatever. But something happened. Yeah. And then I was like, I mean, I left. We like hooked up, fell in love. And I went to Australia for six months. Whoa. And we talked a lot while I was there and wrote letters from Australia to Seattle. Whoa. Yeah. What were you doing for six months in Australia? Well, I thought I was in love with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> That didn't really work out. Sure. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> so it's just chasing wallabies and whatnot. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I came back and it's been almost 11 years. Wow. It's pretty wild. So did he ever come to Seattle? He ended up moving to Seattle. He was in Seattle while I was in... He was subletting a room in my house while I was in Australia, which I think is like kind of like salting the wound, right? Yeah. Like missing a girl and then having to be in like this her space where her and this other person are like the matriarchs of this house for all these years. Like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he lived in Seattle. And then, yeah, we eventually moved. I, we were like, let's move to New Orleans. No, let's move to Minneapolis. No, let's move to this place. And then he was like, actually, I want to live in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, cool, let's stay here. Then I got, was in this really cool band with Jordan and goddammit Pat and like getting really like being like, fine, I'm going to live in Seattle. This is it. We're doing it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he was like, no, let's buy a house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was like, okay. Where did that come from? Um, we've always had a good time on tour here. Sure. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because that's like what, you know, that's just how you make all your decisions, right? You have one good night somewhere with a bunch of people and then you're like... That was great, right? It was Buy perfect. A house there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. Ketchup Town, are. USA. Heinz Central. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And you've been here what? Eight eight years? Do we say that already? Um, we've we bought our house in twenty fourteen. Six years. Okay. Yeah. So like maybe like a little bit more than that. We lived in Philly for a minute too. Sure. While we were still undecided on where to be. Yeah. And then you end up here. Yeah. What's your life like? Um, Pittsburgh has really afforded me like some really incredible experiences, like making jewelry and being supported the way that I'm supported through making yeah. jewelry. 
How did that come about? Did you always kind of? I feel like like making fashioning jewelry of some kind is a real like um, oogle pastime. Yeah, but I never did it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I've always been like a collector of jewelry. Um, I'm not sure how it happened. Like this person that that doesn't live here anymore was like. They have this arts fest every year in Polish Hill. We should get a table and make some shit and sell some stuff. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I don't know. I make stuff. I'll, I'll come up with something. Yeah. And we went to this like metal warehouse and bought sheets of metal and I cut shit out and I just made jewelry and everyone bought it all. And I was like, what? And it was like so pleasurable, like yeah. making this stuff and creating. And we were renovating our house. The inside of our house was like essentially unlivable. I was showering with a hose in the basement. Like I was miserable. <laughs> the I things was, like, that punk prepares you for. Yeah, right. Squatting your own house. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I sat on our porch and made jewelry. Yeah. And and then just got more and more into it. And then the vagina necklace came to me as a joke. I thought I was just having a toilet brain moment and put a picture on the internet. It was like, look, I made a necklace, a vagina necklace. Who wants one? And it's like, People went ape shit. Yeah. They were buying them for their like grandmothers, their sister who's a gynecologist for like, you know, it was just like moms were buying them for their daughters. I cried all the time when people would be like, tell me who they were buying them for. Yeah. I was just like, this is, you know, and then when Trump was elected that Christmas, I could hardly keep up with vagina orders. <laughs> Everyone was a feminist. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's funny because I feel like there's like um, there can be a a sort of tendency towards um, for like uh, like oh god I'm trying to find the right words like just sort of like vaginal stuff. Like mm -hmm. that to be, um, to feel like I think maybe like like biologically essentialist or like you know like kind of being in like adjacent to sort of anti-trans stuff or whatever right. you know in this way that I just like I don't know how you do it but I just never get that there's like not Thank even a you. question. When I look at your work that like, oh, this person is like trying to have like a, I this person, yeah, no, I know. Fuck a turf, right? <laughs> yeah, for real. But it's so interesting. And I, and I, I, you know, as a trans woman, I struggle with the like, how do we, like, I think that the sort of, uh, I do think that like, like some of that sort of like sacred woman's body, 70s feminist shit is like pretty cool. Yeah. Right? Yes. And like. I, I don't think we have to just get rid of that. Like, just because I don't have a pussy doesn't mean we can't celebrate the pussies that we do have in our community. Exactly. And, and um, I'm, I'm so super sensitive and hyper aware of how it could be read. Yeah. And I've definitely, like, sought the counsel of trans friends and, and non-binary friends and and have been like, I need you to tell me if anything, you know, I'm really careful on how I word things, like, Absolutely. You know, this is like, this is a celebration of this thing, but it's not only this thing. Right. And like, it's a celebration of this thing, regardless of who has it. Exactly. Right? Like, right. it's not, this is not like a celebration of womanhood. This is a celebration of my fucking pussy. Yes. And your pussy. 
yes. and et cetera, et cetera. And I just think, I just think it's really, it like the potential for that sort of misreading didn't occur to me until this very moment. Like I have interacted with your art and your jewelry and your work for years at this point, living in Pittsburgh. And it never crossed my mind until we're having this more like sort of uh, meta conversation about it. Like, oh, actually it's like kind of situated in this place. And it does, it does manage to exist in this way that I think is not exclusionary at all. And yeah. I think that's a real, you do a really wonderful job of it. Thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me because it, it's important yeah. to not exclude yeah, for anybody sure. in, in that realm. I mean, yeah, it, and when you think about the timeline, and we talked about this on a porch lunch months ago when I was wearing the shirt that said, gimme, gimme raw pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and I had mentioned being in a band called The Vaginals, and you were like, you have a fucking theme. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> yeah, the themes of your life are um, building community from intense trauma, and uh, pussies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Essentially, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, what's your jewelry company called? Visceral Jewelry. The Visceral Jewelry. Mm -hmm. That's right. I just wanted you to say it. Okay. Um, <laughs> the And where can people find Visceral Jewelry? Um, Visceraljewelry.com. That's so easy. Yeah, I'm on the internet. Yeah, I'll put Instagram. a link in the thing too. Yeah. Um, I have not been active this year at all. Um, I made a very conscious decision because I could to not, in in the times that we are going through, take up space on the internet trying to sell something. Oh, sure. Which is by no means a judgment of anybody else who needs to at this time. Yeah. Like I was financially okay being able to get unemployment and whatnot that I just didn't want to, I just, yeah, that makes sense. Put it on hold. Yeah. Do you, is this, it's just indefinitely sort of on hold? Um, no, I, well, I had a studio in Babyland, but I've decided to move out. So I've, I've moved my studio back home. Okay. So I'm, it's in a state of chaos right now. It sure. is absolutely not set up but eventually will be set up in my home. I mean, things are so uncertain right now. Spending rent on a studio when I could just be yeah. safe in a quarantine land in my own home creating something. Yeah, it sounds way... Seemed like a, a smart... <laughs> more rational decision. Yeah, definitely. So I think, I'm thinking that maybe I might kick it up at the end of this year. Sure. I got, I've got lots of ideas. Yeah. Um, and what about the, when did you start doing the um, coat hanger jewelry? Because you there's like a portion of that that you give to abortion funds, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, that is a thing that I try to do quite regularly is that I donate money pretty regularly, um, especially with that. Um, a lot like with the ACAB jewelry I make goes to like bail funds and, yeah. and benefits and, and whatever is necessary but yeah the coat hangers was it was one of those things that i i have a tendency to to fail at having a filter sometimes not knowing if i'm going too far uh -huh. i i could push i can push a little sometimes and 
the the coat hanger idea had been in me for a really long time and finally I did it and people really it was really well received and yeah, I mean they look cool thank you yeah they look really cool yeah I, I love them I really love them a lot um I want to make more things in that way you know there I had this thing happen at um an art an art sale or a craft sale or and um I, you know, the necklace that says never again and has a coat hanger dangling from it. This very young girl, maybe 18, like went up and was like, is that what I think it is? And I was like, probably. And she was like, well, is it? I was like, it's it's a pro-choice necklace, essentially. Yeah. And she started crying and walked away. And I was like, oh, what is about to happen right now? Yeah, fuck. Like, am I about to deal with a pro-lifer and having like a situation like, what do I need to prepare for? Yeah. I feel icky right now. Sure. I made a young girl cry. And then later she came back up to me and was still crying. And she was like, I just want to apologize for having that reaction. It surprised me but I'm really glad you're making that and it means a lot to me. And so I started crying. I'm crying now. <laughs> and I was like, can I please hug you? And yeah. like we hugged each other oh. and cried. Time before COVID. Oh, fuck. You could just hug a stranger. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, I, just thinking about it feels so good. <laughs> but that was like, yeah, that felt special. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, and so fucking depressing that something like that has to be re relevant even more so now. So fucked. It's so fucked. It's, it's so fucked. And like some of the only hope that I, that I can draw in moments like this is thinking about like, um, you know, your band uh, 10 years ago liberating Narcan from hospitals and et cetera, et cetera. And the ways that we are able to like, like it's not, it doesn't have to be um, even if if abortion has to become an, an underground thing again um, and God forbid I really you know obviously but like we have so many skills in our community and like among our friends and we have so much more access and we have the ability to make these networks to, you know, like the Narcan distribution mm -hmm. networks to um, get the word out to, you know, like, um, do you know Saya that that um, lives in New Orleans? That was from, uh, it's from New York, but um, that was in um, Patsy. I think so, yeah. She like had a job for a while where she was on a boat and they would fly drones with contraception and abortion supplies to countries that don't have legal abortion. <laughs> so fucking beautiful right and it's like god i hate drones but there are know, times where you're like yes 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 but, and it's just like the things that we can do if we're creative and if, yeah and like obviously everything is fucked yes you know everything is completely fucked but like when i think about stuff like that um the 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 types of community building that people like you or i or other people that we care about have done in our lives uh it feels like you know, whatever they throw at us, like, we're going to find some way to make it less painful for the people it's most harmful to. 
Yeah. You know, and that's all I can really hope for. And like, right. I'm only able to have that hope because of knowing people like you, you know? That's great. I also would love to give a shout out to Alex Turner again and Iggy Hop, which is the outreach program that started on bicycles in Olympia with the Narcan and making that mm -hmm. possible. Like they did all of the legwork to get to get that into our hands so that we yeah. could take it on tour. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Do you have anything else you want to say? Fuck the police. That is it. You got off easy. I barely sang on this episode, and that is for the. I guess I made up for it by fucking falsettoing Lita Ford right at the beginning of the interview. So if you made it through that, Mazeltov, uh, that was a mitzvah that you did for me for the for the day. Um, listen, rate, review, subscribe in the places that you can do those things. Give me five stars. Write me a review. Come on. I just I want affirmation from strangers uh, or people I know frankly I don't care who it's from uh, and yeah anyway that's it thank you to the guest Kelly my friend I cannot stress enough how delighted I am to have had this conversation with her and to have a friendship with her and to be able to share our friendship with you the listener um, and um, thank you as always to the band that wrote the theme song with Hara Occulta. And thank you to this band, Burning Kitchen, for writing this song, Impact, about hating the cops. Because look, we all hate the cops, all right? And um, that is all we got to say about that. Fuck ICE, free Palestine, no cops, no creeps, no borders, peace in the pizzeria, harvester out.